You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Well, hey, everybody. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Pastor John Bellis. Uh, He's the co-host of our men's podcast. We're publishing this episode, these next two episodes on our Truth Podcast, but we're going to promote it over onto our men's podcast. So if you're listening on the men's podcast, uh, the reason we're doing this on the Truth Podcast is because this is really kind of a broader topic. We want to talk about the Israel-Hamas conflict, the Palestinian conflict, all the stuff that's in the news these days. And John, um, I think this is going to take us at least a couple of episodes because what, what we want to do is we want to help our listeners to think about this biblically, not to just think about this in terms of what the news is saying or what your favorite politician or influencer is saying, but we want to we want to help people understand this conflict in broader terms and and so what that means is today we're going to talk about we're going to talk about this theologically and how this whole conflict is rooted in the bible and then next week we're going to dive into some of the details of more modern history like in the 1900s what was going on what led to the two state solution question and and why there's all this conflict and all that kind of stuff but maybe before we jump into any of this John i think we should start with are we talking about Israel-Hamas conflict, or are we talking about the Israel-Palestine conflict, and what's the difference? Well, I, I assume we're going to have to tackle both of them a little bit, Brian. I think one is a much more black and white issue than the other, because as you mentioned, even among Christians, even among followers of Jesus, there are different views about the nation of Israel, about the right that they may or may not have to the land where they live. And we're going to tackle a lot of that in today's episode. But I would say it's it's pretty black and white, at least from my perspective, on this most recent incident from October seventh here of twenty twenty three. That there is uh, there is a good side and there is a bad side. And so I, I think our conversation will address you know this specific conflict, this most recent situation. But then it's it's going to grow into the bigger question of you know how, how does Israel interact with with Palestinians at large, not just Hamas, and and how should Christians view it? What does God's word say about it? How should we be praying about the situation? I, I think I think all of that will eventually come out in our conversation between the next two episodes. Yeah, and I, I think sure, I think every listener, hopefully, you understand that that Hamas is a terrorist organization. That what Hamas did is is horrible. It was horrible what they did um, in 2023, and but I think a lot of listeners are thinking, okay, then Israel has, you know, Israel can do whatever they want to because this was their land in the first place. God gave them their land. I've heard lots of Christians have said that to me. They've said this is Israel's land. God gave them this land, and and that, those are the things we're going to talk about today. Is the history of of that area of the world biblically? And then how to view that as a Christian, because maybe, John, a lot of Christians don't understand that that there's more than one perspective on whether this is Israel's land. And some, some listeners might be saying, how dare you say that? Like the Bible says it. Well, we're going to get into all of that today. And if that's your perspective, you're prob- you've probably been influenced by a viewpoint called dispensationalism. We'll explain that today. We'll give you some history on that and where that comes from. And but I think it's also really important for every Christian to understand that 
um, that that Israel, that Jews in Israel aren't Christians. And the question is, are they are they God's people still? And th- this is where this is where we're going in today's episode. And this is this is why we're going to introduce some some language that so that again our listeners can really think about this biblically and and make a decision for yourself where you stand on this particular issue. So, so John, let's let's start with that. Let's start with this concept of dispensationalism. So some some of our listeners know about this. They've heard about this. Probably a lot of our listeners aren't even sure what we're talking about. What are we talking about when we say dispensationalism? What is a dispensation? And where does this, how does this touch on the situation with Israel and Palestine? Well, dispensationalism come, comes from the word dispensation, which is an, an age or a distinct period. And so that, that view is a theological framework that would divide history into dispensations where God interacts with humanity in different ways. And so in the context of Israel, dispensationalism typically focuses on a unique plan for the nation of Israel that is separate from the church. Uh, and it would suggest that God has distinct purposes for Israel and for the church, and that these purposes unfold in different ages or, again, different dispensations. So a dispensationalist would say that God made very specific promises to Israel in the Old Testament promises about land, promises about blessing, and that some of those promises are yet to be fulfilled. Um, a dispensationalist would, would believe a future period uh, where God's going to fulfill these promises to Israel, you know, a restoration of the of the promised land. You know, every everyone who's listening today who grew up going to church has probably heard the phrase, the promised land, that 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 restoration of the promised land to Israel is a a literal thing and is still is still bound to happen and they would view you know what happened in 1948 where Israel became an independent state as a a step towards that plan and really as proof as as kind of a modern day miracle that that God is going to bring that to pass okay so one of the verses that we're going to have to talk about today and next week is Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 but this is this is foundational for dispensationalists and even for the other side as well covenant people who buy into more of a covenant theology approach which we'll explain in this episode as well so a dispensationalist would read this Genesis 12 this is where God calls Abraham who's the father of the nation of Israel and here's what he says I want to read this and and John let's explain this cuz again I, let's not assume that our listeners understand the importance of this passage to the Bible, to the Old Testament, the story of the Old Testament, and even to the New Testament and the coming of Christ and all this stuff. So Genesis 12, starting verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, go to the land that I'll show you. And he's talking about the promised land. He's talking about the Middle East. He's talking about what, what Israel and Palestine are fighting over right now. Okay, go to, the, go to the land I'll show you. He says, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So, John, how does a dispensationalist read this passage as it relates to Israel? Because Israel didn't even exist yet in in Genesis 12, right? This is Abraham is like the father of 
of the nation that would eventually become Israel. So how does a dispensationally look at dispensationalist look at this promise? Although the nation of Israel wasn't a thing yet in Abraham's time and this promised Abraham, Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, right? He's he's the patriarch. He's the one God originally calls. And Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob becomes the the father of the nation of Israel. He has 12 sons then. Um, We know the story of, of Joseph being sold into slavery, one of his sons being taken captive into Egypt. And then saving everyone through his wisdom, through his leadership, God puts him in there to save people with the famine coming. And and uh, Jesse and his sons all go to Egypt. The nation of Israel you know, blows up population-wise. They become enslaved by the Egyptians uh, when the Pharaoh who ruled while Joseph uh, was his right-hand man after he passes. The Bible talks about how the new Pharaoh forgets everything that Joseph had done for the nation. And they then enslave the nation of Israel. Uh, fast forward, we know about Moses, Moses, who was called by God to lead his people out of Egypt. And that was all foretold, by the way. You know, if, if you look in the Old Testament, it was foretold that they would be subjected to slavery, but then God would lead them out and lead them back into the promised land. And that's what Moses does. So that's all through you know the book of Exodus, as Moses is leading the people out of, of Egypt. And then Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land uh, because of disobedience. Uh, he's not allowed to go in. So Joshua is the one who eventually would lead the nation of Israel across the Jordan River, and they would conquer the land of the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all those-ites that we read about in the Bible. And and that's the land we're talking about today. From, in fact, I just read something of I don't know, a day or two ago, they talked about, and this is a phrase that you hear a lot in the news right now, from the river to the sea. So from mm-hmm. the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And so that's the area that God promises to Abraham in Genesis 12. So a dispensationalist would say, look, this was this whole area, like the Jews have a right to the land because God gave it to them. There's no higher authority. The UN isn't a higher authority. Palestine, Hamas, even Israel, the highest authority is God himself. And so a dispensationalist would say, God gave, am I saying this right, John? God gave Israel this land in Genesis 12. And so we should fight for Israel. We should side with Israel. This is Israel's land. Yeah, I think that would be the, I think that would be the perspective. Uh, I don't want to oversimplify it. And I, I guess I'll just you know, Brian, full disclosure is always important to me. There's a lot I still need to learn on on this topic of dispensationalism and and covenant theology. I I can't say that I have a I hold my I hold my opinion loosely in this conversation. I'm I'm open to to I'm open to the fact that I may be wrong. That you know there are there are certain things in God's word that I I hold very tightly. I, I hold very tightly that there is one way to salvation, and that is through faith in the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Right? I hold tightly to the Trinity. I hold tightly to uh, the fallen nature of humankind. I hold tightly to the fact that we are created in the image of God. Uh, but I'm, 
I'm open that I may be wrong in this conversation between covenant theology and dispensationalism. But yeah, and the goal here, I feel the same way, John. I I think the goal here is to give our listeners an understanding of some of these terms, because I think it's kind of like the Calvinist-Arminian debate. If you don't really know those terms, you probably wouldn't even know where you lean. You have a leaning. You might not realize that you're leaning a one way. You you have like this instinctive... uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but this instinctive perspective that's probably based on what you've learned growing up or how you've read the Bible or maybe you know a, a, the influence of a pastor or an author, but you maybe you didn't even put a term to it. Now, some of our listeners know exactly the terms, and I'm sure we'll be getting emails from them clarifying some of these perspectives, which is great. We welcome those emails. But most of our listeners are probably like, I need to know the terms and the scriptures that I should be looking at. So I can make a decision for myself, and I see where I land on this. So dispensationalists would say that Genesis 12, 1, it's a literal promise. It's a literal promise that is going to be fulfilled to the people of Israel. It was fulfilled for a while there in the book of Exodus when Joshua, like you said, now finally the the 12 tribes of Israel, they come into the promised land and they set up camp and, and they're living there during the judges period, during the Davidic period. Uh, when King David was on the throne, when his son Solomon was on the throne, that was like the peak of Israel's uh, earthly rule. And then it all kind of went downhill. That's what the Old Testament does is it kind of tells the story of how it goes downhill. The people of Israel just kept failing and, and God kept sending prophets to them. And eventually the Northern kingdom of Israel, uh, the 12, the 10 tribes of the North, uh, they get uh, dispossessed of the land in, in 722 BC. And then the southern kingdom of Israel hangs on a little bit longer, 586 BC. That's when they get dispossessed. And then from there, they're exiled. And, and basically, they don't, they don't have a nation of their own. They don't have a land of their own. The promised land was lost because of their disobedience. And, and, and that's kind of where we are today, right, John? That, that there's been, we'll get into maybe some of the more modern history in the, in the next episode, but basically that land has been fought over ever since then, but, but a dispensationalist would say, but God gave it to them and God is still like, God still wants it to be theirs. And so that some of the, some of the, uh, future, uh, future events, eschatological events are going to happen. And a dispensationalist will think about those things again, in terms of Israel and this promise that God made to Israel. Yeah, I believe a dispensationist would also point out the return from exile, that as Darius came in and conquered Babylon, that then he allowed the Jews back to their nation, that there was a rebuilding of the temple, and that really there's been a continuous Jewish presence in that area since then, you know, since the exiles came back. And so they would point to that as as evidence, as proof that God keeps his promises to the nation of Israel in regards to their land. Now, I, I don't think we can, we can finish our conversation on dispensationalism unless we talk a little bit about the end times component of it. So, John, how would a, how would a dispensationalist read the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus teaches on the end times in Matthew 24 and 25? So, readers, you can go back and read that if you want. Or the book of revelation where there's a lot of a lot of talk about this stuff that's going to happen in the at the end times 
so a dispensationalist would would interpret all of that stuff very literally, right? And a dispensationalist would say that when it's talking about, say, for example, the abomination that causes desolation, we did a whole series on this, by the way, last year. So go back and if you missed our biblical eschatology topics, go back and listen to those. But John, just let's tie this into like how does Israel figure into the end times when it comes to dispensationalism? Because it's kind of a big deal. And I think that's why a lot of American Christians who are dispensationalists are really fighting for Israel here. Yeah, because they would believe that that with this millennium kingdom that's talked about, the millennial kingdom that's talked about in Revelation specifically, that it's it's a real thing, it's a literal thing, that Jesus is going to reign over an earthly kingdom. It's going to be headquartered in Jerusalem. So it's going to be headquartered in Israel. Israel, again, will have They'll have prominence. They, you know, they will be the center of everything of this righteous, uh, peaceful reign that Christ has on the earth for a thousand years. And so, whether you're a dispensationalist or covenant uh, the, covenant theology, um, someone who adheres to covenant theology, I just find it's interesting. I don't want to get us too off track here. That that the whole world's attention is focused in on an area that's about the size of New Jersey. To me, this is just more proof of the validity and the authority of the Bible, that the Bible talks about how Israel is going to be the center of things. Now, when it was written, that made sense, right? I mean, that there weren't these world powers on the scene like China and Russia and the United States. I mean, but but if you were just walking around town and you tried to say that all eyes would be on this piece of land the size of New Jersey, you would say you're crazy. It, it just doesn't make any sense, but it, it makes sense because God's Word talks about it. At least that's, again, my perspective. Okay, so that's dispensationalism. Let me, let me summarize this, John, for our listeners. So, okay, if you're a dispensationalist, then you're going to emphasize the unique plan for the nation of Israel, separate from the church. So you you're going to you're going to say that God has distinct purposes for Israel and the church. He made promises to Israel and they're separate than the promises that he made to the church in the New Testament and beyond and that these promises, these purposes unfold in different dispensations. So that's a dispensationalist. Now we'll come back to this in just a second in terms of the history of dispensationalism and some key figures in it. But before we do that, I think let's go. Let's talk a little bit about the other side of the spectrum, John. And this is called some people call this covenant theology, or you might have heard of it in terms of uh, something called federalism. But this is a theological framework that views God's relationship with humanity through covenants instead of through dispensations. And and so a covenant, an adherent to covenant theology, would emphasize the continuity between the Old and the New Testaments. So, John, this is the one that I lean toward, and I know you lean toward dispensationalism. I know we're both still kind of learning and trying to understand, probably like a lot of our listeners. But I really, this is this is the viewpoint that kind of makes the most sense to me. That that you're seeing when I read the whole Bible, I'm seeing this this whole thing as one big picture of of God's relationship with humanity. So I put less emphasis on Israel. And I and I put a little bit more emphasis on the church now as the new Israel. Does that make sense, John? What would you add to uh, covenant theology and maybe how it's different from dispensationalism? Well, if we go back to the passage you referenced before, Brian, Genesis twelve, 
where God is calling Abram and he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And then this is probably the most important sentence I, I, I would think, you know, for someone who has that perspective, all families on the earth will be blessed through you so that, you know, Abram was called, God had a chosen people, but, but all along the desire of God was through that chosen people to draw all those on the earth to himself and that all families on the earth would be blessed through Abram and through his, his seed. Yeah, in fact, we can go even further back, you know, Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. A, a covenant theologian would would point to the idea of this covenant made with Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, that God comes to them, he's walking with them, he has, re- this is before sin entered the world. He has relationship with them, he wants to bless them, but he wants them to be obedient. And that's that's really, I think that's important for people to understand in terms of federalism or covenant theology is is he God wants his people to be obedient. God is God, they're not. That's the proper relationship that humans are supposed to have with God. He makes the rules, we follow the rules. You know, he wants a relationship with us, but in those terms, his rela- we can't come to God on our terms, we come to God on his terms. Well, so he has these expectations for obedience and then he lays out consequences for disobedience. So then in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve disobey for the first time sin enters the world even even then genesis 3:15 this is called the proto evangelion it's the first message men- mention of the gospel in the bible genesis 3:15 god says to satan after the after the fall of man he says look i'm going to cause hostility between you between you and the woman between your seed and and the woman's seed but and, and then and then god says this to him he says you're going to strike his heel but he's going to strike your head. And so we, most Christians view this as the first reference to this battle between sin, between evil and good, which by the way, we're seeing in the Israel-Hamas conflict. It's the battle between good and evil. And it's the, it's the battle between sin, the sinful nature, and God's, God's purposes for us. But what I love about Genesis 3.15 is that it's really speaking about the fact that, that the seed that you know, there's going to be enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman is actually Jesus. It's not just all humans. It's Jesus. It's a reference to Jesus himself, that Jesus is the one that's going to come. That Jesus, you know, the striking of the heel is when Satan thought he won when he put Jesus on the cross. But three days later, Jesus crushed the head of Satan by rising from the dead and establishing a way for us to be made right with God. So again, disobedience we're all because of sin we're all separated from god but jesus fulfills all of this this was god's plan all along so john here's how i view genesis 12 then is i see as as an it's an extension of what was happening in genesis 3:15 that that god said this is my plan all along he had this plan all along he knew that humans would disobey he knew that there would be this separation he knew that there would be this struggle, this epic struggle with the nation of Israel, but not just the nation of Israel, but all human beings, this epic struggle of disobedience. But he was going to conquer disobedience because all along his promise was the seed. And again, I see in Genesis 12 that he says, all the families on earth will be blessed through your seed. That's the seed. 
So the seed in Genesis 3.15, the offspring is another word for that, is Jesus. The seed in Genesis 12, the offspring is Jesus. So in general terms, I view this as the, it's not about a promise specifically to Israel. It's about a promise to all humans who would become Christians, who would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says that, that we're children of Abraham, um, not by circumcision of the flesh, but by circumcision of the heart. And so, again, that's how I view this whole picture. I view it more in this broad sense that God's promises are more like holistic. It's like this unified picture of Old and New Testament instead of being like a really literal waiting for something to happen still and something special to happen to the to the nation of Israel. Brian, I would affirm and, and echo everything you just said. In fact, I love Genesis 3.15 and the promise that I believe it holds for literally every human who would who would soften their heart and respond to what God offers them through Jesus Christ and through his death on the cross. I would say I still see though promises to the nation of Israel specifically, and maybe it's maybe it's driven because of my my end times view, where I again I do hold a perspective that the millennial kingdom is a, a literal thing. It's it's a real thing. It's going to happen, and Jesus is going to reign from Jerusalem. And so, because of that, and of course, you know, God's ways are bigger than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. But I don't see a way for that to happen un- unless there is an Israel. You know, unless there is a, a a state known as Israel that Jesus is going to reign from. Yeah, I really think the the biggest difference from my perspective is seen on again the eschatology topic, and we're not going to dive into those details, but. But for for though for listeners who really, when you read Matthew twenty four, when you read Revelation, and you as you interpret that stuff, if you're taking a more literal interpretation, a temple, Israel once again, then I think you I think you do tend to be more dispensationalist. For our listeners who might be more amillennial or take take a more figurative approach to some of that stuff, interpreting the end time stuff, you you might maybe lean more covenant theology. Again, there's there's a wide range, right, John? There's a wide range. We're not trying to pigeonhole anybody here. I think both of us are are centrists in the way we view this thing. We're still trying to learn and trying to understand. But I think in general terms, the rubber meets the road when you talk about eschatology. Well, it seems like that is definitely a, a pivot point on it. One of the things I wanted to bring up too, Brian, from the kind of the covenant perspective, you mentioned the word obedience. So I think it's also important to point out that someone that that would adhere to covenant theology would say that these promises that God made to the nation of Israel, even regarding their land, had conditions, right? They had conditions to them. If if they were going to keep the land, they had to be obedient. And we know that clearly they weren't, that unfortunately, Israel's history was rebellion after rebellion after rebellion against God, following the gods of the other nations that they were supposed to displace and and so eventually God you know God exiled them. Um, the Assyrians uh, took away the northern kingdom, and the Babylonians took away the southern kingdom. And so um, I, again, I don't want to I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would assume you would also say, hey, the the promises regarding the physical land they no longer apply because Israel was disobedient. Yeah, I think that's a major theme, a major kind of justification. You can even see it in in some of Paul's writings, right? He said the 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 Gentiles are grafted in because the Jews refused to believe. Well, they were disobedient, but I would say even more than disobedience, 
they refuse to believe. To me, that's the, in my particular viewpoint, that's the bigger thing is, you know, when I think of, when I think of the nation of Israel, again, today, John, I don't know how you would view this, but I, I, I think, I think Jews today are way more aligned. Maybe we'll talk about this next week a little bit more. They're may, way more aligned on worldview than Muslims with Christians. The, the Judeo-Christian worldview in terms of the Ten Commandments, in terms of love your neighbor, in terms of, in, in terms of that kind of stuff, it's, we're way more aligned. So I think Christians are very aligned with Jews, but I think it's important for us to understand, Christians, for you to understand non believing Jews are not Christians, right, John? I mean, even a dispensationalist would say that, that we're not, a dispensationalist isn't saying that, oh no, Jews are God's chosen people. And so they're going to make it, they're going to make it into heaven based on the fact that they're Jews. Whereas for the rest of us Gentiles, we make it into heaven based on uh, grace. No, that's right. That's not what, that's not on the table at all. Every Christian says we are saved by grace through faith. And so for any of our Jewish listeners, I hope that you would come to know who Jesus is, the Jesus of the Bible is, and you would trust Jesus for salvation. So I guess to me, that's part of what I wrestle with, John, is I think a lot of Christians think of Israel and, and the Jewish nation because of Judeo-Christian similarities, worldview similarities, which are important. But because of that, I think we can sometimes mistake make the mistake of thinking that they're saved and and that they're going to be in heaven with us. They need Jesus. And I think both covenant theology adherents and dispensationalists would agree with that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm going to use the term messianic Jew. So a person who is Jewish by birth, you know, by lineage, but they do believe Jesus is the Messiah and they believe that that's how they'll, they'll have salvation. That is a an extremely small percentage of the nation of Israel. The vast majority of the nation of Israel uh, doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and therefore they don't have relationship with God. Their relationship is still broken. They think they have relationship with God, but they don't. And I don't want to paint you know, Israel to be perfect by any means. Now, again, I do believe there's a good guy and a bad guy in this conflict, I have very strong opinions on that. I think it's clear, uh, but you can see videos of of devout Jews spitting on Christians in Israel. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not out to mm. paint Israel as you know they don't ever do anything wrong or they're they're always right. Um, you know, I say this with uh, with compassion and with you know with remorse, but the majority of Israelis today are are headed to hell. If they don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, uh, that that's where they're headed. So, yeah, again, both both covenant uh, theologians and dispensationalists would be, I would certainly hope, would be in a hundred percent agreement on the fact that being an Israeli by birth uh, doesn't mean you automatically are, are going to be ushered into the presence of God when you die. Doesn't mean that at all. You know, Jesus said that. You know, you and I remember the passage where he talks about how you say you're children of Abraham. God can make children out of these rocks, right? Mm. It's it's not it's not it's not your lineage that matters. It's the relationship you have with God through Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think I think that's even true. That maybe this is what rubs me. I don't know, John. There's something about dispensationalism that I feel like it feels kind of nationalistic, and I think 
I think a lot of American Christians are more American than they're Christian. And I, I think that's just a warning to all of us. Well, I'm, however you land on this, I, I hope you land on it based on your reading of scripture and how just God leads you on this. Because again, they're Christians, lovers of Jesus on both sides of this, whether you're dispensational or covenant. But I think the, I think the takeaway, one of the takeaways for me is I don't want to be more American than I am Christian. I don't want to be more Jewish, you know, be more for the Jews than I am for Jesus. There are Jews who need Jesus, and there are Muslims who need Jesus. There are Palestinians who need Jesus. I hope, to the Christians listening, I hope you're praying for Hamas, that they would, that God would get a hold of some of their hearts. I pray, I hope that you're praying for the Palestinians and some of the, some of the Palestinians in Gaza that are just, I mean, I can't even imagine what life is like for them right now during these, during this war. And I, I think we should be praying for that. We should be praying for Israel. Absolutely, we should pray for Israel. It's biblical to pray for Israel. But I don't think we should get the wrong idea about what that means. We should be praying for their salvation. We should be praying that they come to know the Jesus of the Bible. And we should be praying that for the Palestinians. We should be praying that for Hamas as well. Brian, you mentioned praying, praying for everyone involved in the situation. And, and as you said, we, we're commanded to pray for Israel. Psalm 122, this is verse 6, this is from the ESV. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. And if you look at all of Psalm 122, there's really not a condition placed with that. It, it doesn't say pray for the peace of Jerusalem as long as they are obeying the Lord or you know, pray for the peace of Jerusalem as long as X, Y, Z. So we're, we're commanded to pray for the nation of Israel. But as you said, that, that doesn't prohibit us from praying for everyone that's impacted by what's been going on. I mean, we should be praying, we should be praying for the Christians in Israel right now who have an opportunity to spread the gospel. We all know that when people experience loss, they're more open to hearing the gospel. That's just something I've I've seen in every culture. So pray that the gospel would flourish in Jerusalem right now. Pray that the gospel would flourish in Gaza. You know, there are Christians in Gaza right now who who have an opportunity to talk about the peace and the hope that we can have through Jesus Christ, even in the midst of terrible circumstances. You know, pray for the leaders of Hamas to soften their heart. And I know when I say that, I get it, because I wrestle with this too, that you think that's never going to happen. God's a mm. big God. You know, one of the one of the sons of one of the founders of Hamas is a is a Christian. I mean, he professes to be a Christian. I don't know his personal relationship with the Lord, but he sure acts and talks like a Christian. He says he's a Christian. Nobody would believe that could happen. Our God is a big God. He's a God who mm -hmm. likes to redeem things. He's a God who likes to do things that, that people look at and say, man, that had to be God involved. That had to be him because that's not just something that happens on its own. And so let's be praying for God to soften the hearts of Hamas. You know, let's be praying for God to redeem people uh, that are involved on both sides of the conflict. Well, so we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Um, we're out of time for today, but I think it's important before we get into some of the, you know, the history of this in the last hundred years or so, we're going to get into the Balfour Declaration. We're going to get into when Israel became a state. We're going to talk a little bit about the region, Gaza, 
and the West Bank. We're going to talk about kind of the, how all of that developed next time again. But we felt like you, our listeners needed to have an understanding of this from a theological point of view, because again, a dispensationalist would say, right, John, they would be fighting, sort of fighting for the nation of Israel on theological terms, thinking the temple still has to be built for these prophecies in Revelation, to be, just in general terms, for these prophecies to be fulfilled. So if you're, if that's how you're thinking about it, that you're, you're probably a dispensationalist, whereas a, someone in, someone who adheres to covenant theology isn't thinking, isn't thinking about it in those terms, even though we're still all praying for Israel. But, but we don't, we don't expect that Israel has this claim to the land um, the way that a dispensationalist thinks. We don't, we, you know, a, someone from the covenant camp wouldn't say that, um, you know, that we're waiting for the temple to be rebuilt or the end times aren't going to come, you know, God isn't going to wrap up history until all of those things literally happen. So the, this is, these are the stakes, I think, theologically, the, the, these are the stakes. And our goal here for our listeners is to give you the, the language to talk about it. We'll put some more information about some key figures in dispensationalism and the same thing with covenant theology. We'll put all that in the show notes down below so that you can have your own conversations, come to your own conclusions on this thing and make sure to tune in next week because next week we're going to really kind of roll up our sleeves, John. We're going to dive into some of the specific details, what Hamas is all about, some of their history and, and how we should think about this conflict as Christians in our world today. So join us next week. Hey listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.